Hi, guys, and welcome to the Fail Fighters Podcast, which is a show that celebrates the art of learning from your mistakes. I'm Kerry James, and today we'll be joined by Mr. Paul Espinas, serial entrepreneur and video gaming junkie from the Philippines. Paul has more than 10 years of insider experience in digital marketing, with a focus on digital platforms in Asia. He has invested in more than 15 startups at the seed stage and has co-founded three in the last six years. And his latest mission? To literally gamify the workplace with his newest company, UpUpApp, which is an interactive performance management and HR solution that rewards employees for completing tasks and hitting KPIs. We have a lot of interesting topics on the plate today, including the future of gaming and HR tech, how to invest in successful startup companies, how to make your employees excited to come to work, and how not to make the mindset shift from the corporate to the startup world. So without further ado, Mr. Paul Espinas. Okay, Paul, so welcome to the show today. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and maybe a fun fact that most people don't know about you. Well, so a lot of people in Vietnam know that I was with Vietnam Works. So even up to now, I'm running a, a, my own startup. They always think I'm still working with um, VietnamWorks.com, right. which is um, a big brand in, in, in the market. Right. But right now, I'm running my own startup. I'm originally from the Philippines, but I've been in Vietnam for the last eight years. And I think, fun fact, I think something funny for me is that I'd lock up myself and just play PlayStation for the weekend. You're and a nobody gamer. Know that. Yeah. You're a gamer. Oh, wow. Yep. Okay, so entrepreneurs out there, you can still be an entrepreneur if you're into gaming. Um, some people need to find their happy place. And I guess that's yours, huh? Yeah, and I think uh, I did a couple of talks about um, the power of, of um, games and how um, playing games can shape a new set of entrepreneurs. And I'll be happy to share that later on in the discussion. Cool. Okay, so gaming is your happy place. Mm -hmm. And you recently started an app mm -hmm. that gamifies work. What's it called? It's called Up Up App. Okay, up up app. You recently started up up app with a co-founder, and you guys decided to to gamify work to make work more fun. So I'm curious, what prompted that? Well, um, I was working for a recruitment portal for five years, um, and part of the job is organizing events and really understanding what's the need for the HR market out there. Um, and then the topics on employee engagement, employee retention came up. So basically people coming in the office, and in less than a year, they'd move to another company. So our clientele were always asking us, can you please do some events or workshops on how we can keep our employees longer in the company or make our employees be more productive? So I started looking at this um, topic and um, uh, I came up with the app. And um, actually the app is just a part of the overall vision we're trying to do in, in the company, wherein we want to utilize technology and innovation to improve the well-being of people in the workplace. Okay, so just to make their life a little bit more enjoyable. Yes. Great. Okay. And as you know, so you've been on our, on our, on our speaking series before in the, the live Fail Fighters events. Mm -hmm. um, so you know what we're all about at the Fail Fighters. We're all about learning from mistakes, uh, taking the, the failures that we've experienced and, and using them to um, gain a valuable lesson out of the situation. So I'm really curious in your, in your career and all the things that you've been through, you know, being going from corporate to the startup world and all that, what's the number one biggest failure? that you'd like to share with us today? I, I think for me, um, failure is, is transient. I think first and foremost, it's never going to be a constant phase in my life. So if there's anything that I'd say a failure, there's always a massive learning that comes with it. Mm -hmm. um, I think the biggest sort of 
failures. Um, it's also biggest learning I've had in the last two or three years is when I decided to be a full-time entrepreneur with the mindset of someone who's still in the corporate. So I think um, the technical skills were there, the experience was there, but the mentality was wrong. Um, and so the way we, the way I implemented things in the startup scene or the company I built is still very corporate. And that I learned the hard way, that things are um, going to be impacted a lot with the way you see things. And on the first six, eight months of running the business, it's been the toughest personal and corporate um, life I've had, I guess. And that's late 2017 up to mid last year, 2018. Okay, so just, uh, just switching from corporate mindset to startup mindset yeah. was the biggest, um, the biggest learning curve, I guess you would say. So far. Okay, yeah. and was there? How did that manifest? What was the? What lessons did you learn, and, and how in your, in your work life did that actually present itself? Well, I had the the mentality that things are actually moving as is on an operational perspective. You know, when you work for a big um, company, for example, like Vietnam Works, we have three hundred people. You have operations team in place. They have their own systems running. You have your tech team. You have your marketing, and then of course you have your sales army. I have the mentality that um, I have the right people, I had the right people, and I, I was um, thinking that things are gonna you know, run as, as is, and things are already in place and ready to go. But the thing with startups is you really need to build everything from scratch. And I wanna repeat that, you really have to build everything from scratch. Every part of the process and the implementation of the process. What I'm saying with having a corporate mindset um, and running a startup is that I thought as soon as we put things in place, they're gonna be operational. With startups, that's not the case. There is a constant um, training needed. There is a constant alignment needed. And there is a constant learning and redoing of things um, before it becomes fully operational and fully productive as a part of the business. Okay, and when you were learning this mm -hmm. and you were experiencing this day to day and you're realizing like, okay, it's not working yeah. like I planned for it to work. Um, of course, without naming any names, mm -hmm. but what was, what was the situation that you found yourself in when you're like, where maybe you thought about like, okay, I'm going back to corporate world, I'm giving up. Is there any, any moments that you experienced um, right. Going back to the corporate world is never going to be an option to me because I had two choices when I left um, my corporate job. It's either I'm going to retire, uh, semi-retire, because I already have other startups that are profitable um, that I've invested on. So I think I have around 16, 17 startups that I have equity. Um, five of them are profitable. So what I'm doing right now is really part of the passion and the vision that we've built as a, as a company. Um, so yeah, never, it was never an option to go back to the corporate world. Okay, so it didn't even cross your mind? No, but okay. it was a matter of, um, I think, failing, meeting the, the expectations I put to myself. Um, ah, and I think that's what failure is. Um, as I said, failure is not meeting expectations you give um, to yourself or the expectations given to you by people who matter. That could be your friends. Um, your um, co-workers and for most Asian kids probably their their parents their families so not meeting those sort of expectations is a sense of, of failure I think um, for especially for people who are trying to do new things or um, 
opening a new business, for example, or trying out something new in their life, um, always have a plan B. A plan B. Okay, so it's not necessarily if I fail, I do B. But if things don't work out, how am I going to address it in advance? Right. One example. Um, I think a lot of our listeners um, will be um, familiar with the world pivoting um, for to, startups. To pivot. To okay. pivot, yeah. right? Um, so it means, for example, I opened the app, which is on employee engagement and corporate rewards. If things didn't work out, if there was no actual need in the market, I had a backup plan, plan which is going towards e-learning, for example. Um, an automated modular, modular learning systems still utilizing rewards. So that was plan B. If performance tracking and real-time rewards as a concept doesn't um, work out in the market, then I have a backup concept right away that my tech team can easily deploy because I have the plan in hand. Um, and the beauty with having that is you, you are accepting the fact that, that potentially your idea, your product, the market might not be ready or there's something missing in the recipe, but you know that there's a backup um, concept that you can put out in the market. I think giving up on your dream will be, you know, the last resort. As you, met, you asked earlier, you want to go back to a corporate life. Um, in my case, I would say it'd be lucky because it's never an option. Um, but um, th there's always a plan B to make this organization, these people I put together work. Because at the end of the day, part of the success of what I built here is the platform we created, the value we provide to our stakeholders, but how these people that I put together actually grew as individuals uh, while we were doing this project together. And what was that like? It's, um, <laughs> it's, 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 a, it's a weird, um, inspiring, uh, challenging experience because it still is because the people I put together are some of them are very close to me. Our CTO, for example, Dr. Mariano, is way my senior. Um, he's in his uh, late 40s. I have uh, people who are very close friends of mine, like my co-founder Jeremy. You know him, um, and a couple of really close friends that I put in um, in this organization. So part of it is a responsibility that, yes, we are all sharing a common vision on doing this thing, but at the same time, what am I doing as a founder that will still make these people grow well-being in, in, in the company? Part of it is catering to multi-generational um, team. So you have Gen X, Gen Y, and then you have the young, young um, Gen Y. So I was trying to figure out different types of mindset, different backgrounds, we have people from Australia, from France, from Vietnam, Philippines. So it is um, a hodgepodge of different, um, how do you call this, um, different backgrounds, different expertise. But as, as a founder, my job is to how to put all these together and make it productive, make it a functional organization. Okay, and what worked and what didn't work out of that? What didn't work um, initially was... Yeah, yeah, like, so you're on the ground, you got your troops, Yeah. you're out here, here building a startup, and the purpose of the startup is to change the way that people work, Yeah. Right? and then you have the people within your own company, and you're dealing with these challenges of, like, switching from corporate to startup. Yeah. So, in that journey, what was working and what didn't work necessarily with your own people? What didn't work is... Um, 
a top-down approach. Mm. I that's why for me um, the background, the difference in background and skill sets um, of people are very important for me now, um, and to really listen to what people can bring in the table. Um, people like me with very strong, aggressive personality, very outspoken. Sometimes we don't really listen. We're just waiting for a turn to talk. Yeah. <laughs> That's the truth. Um, so what I learned, um, especially this year, is that surprisingly people can actually bring something very unique on the table. Mm-hmm. Initially, things weren't working because it was a one-way perspective. And people who don't have similar personality with me or more introvert and more quiet would like just yeah okay we'll try to make it work um but the more leaders i think listen more like really listen not just yeah 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 and then go back to what you wanted um things to uh, to be um there's there's a value in truly listening to the people we work with um especially for um startups for example where your product's still at a very early stage it could turn into something else that you've never really expected and that can only happen if the the inputs is coming from people on the ground who's doing um, the actual legwork people who are meeting clients and different stakeholders so listening is one really key there and I want to repeat it a lot of people that we work with uh, either in the company or outside the company they never actually listen they're just waiting for their turn to talk what would you say is the, what's the right way to listen? How, how do you listen as, as a leader? Um, well, for me, first, I, I get the main point. Um, if there are certain points that are important, I reiterate by asking questions or asking for examples, um, especially on the tech side of things, because um, there are a lot of technical jargons, like all these serverless infrastructure and um, all these terms. Sometimes I just nod I used to just nod um, as soon as they show me visuals, right? When I see the visuals, I'm like, yeah, okay, I get it. Now what I realize, okay, show me the visuals and tell me how it works and why is it important to our users or to the the end users of the the platform or whoever is going to use that um, feature. So what happens now is when tech reports, oh, we have a new feature, they'd explain to me the technicality of it on why we're implementing the feature how they're implementing it on a, on a layman's term, and how is this going to impact the, the end user. And so if, if part of that three things I don't understand, I'd ask again, and I'd ask for more visuals. Because I'm in marketing, I love visuals. <laughs> Pictures. Yeah. Pictures, okay. yes. Cool. And with a, specifically with tech, do they speak, I mean, as far as I know, tech people, they speak totally different languages. Yep. So what was that like for you to learn how to speak tech? Um, We had a mediator, so we have always a written document before the meeting. Okay, so whatever we're going to discuss, they'd send out um, an A4. (laughs) So it's always a one-page thing because I I like to really research things before um, the tech meeting. So every Monday, 4 p.m., we'd meet, um, but Monday morning or Friday afternoon, they'd send something over. So that's when I can actually grasp a little bit more um, what they're what they're doing um, as a department. Um, so that's number one, a written document as a mediator. Um, number two, understanding that for tech people, in my opinion, A is A, B is B. 
if you move A, there will be an impact on F or G or, or everything. So unlike marketing, for example, we are like we say it's an it's an art and science. So A can be sometimes B and and all that. But for tech, A is A, B and B, and any movement in the platform or in the feature can will impact other features or other aspects of the the platform. So what I realize is when speaking to my tech teams, just be really straightforward um, to define what the terminologies are um, and. Again, just having a follow-up question and um, visualization of things really helps a lot in aligning what they do um, and what they're trying to achieve with the platforms they're releasing. Okay, so just really getting them to understand fully themselves what they want to tell you. Yeah, yeah, and I think the, I can also sense their, their, their adjustments. They they'd actually try to, to explain to us, because we're in the marketing front, so when we release a new feature, they really explain to us um, things, and they are ready with their visuals, and they even put it on a presentation of, say, three to four slides, that this is how it works, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, so big one is always prepare. Mm-hmm. So when you're going to be speaking to somebody that's speaking, you know, like that, that isn't on the same, from the same background as you, so prepare, and then uh, one-pagers. Yep. One-pagers. Always. Key. Cool. Always. Um, so outside of work, outside of, of, of the company, um, what do you see being the future of HR tech? Like, Well, one of the reasons why I decided to be hands-on with this startup compared to other companies that I invested on or co-founded is that HR technology, it's, it's really the, the peak of, of transition um, for, for HR departments in Vietnam and around the world. Um, So five years ago, for example, we've seen marketing processes and platforms rise with the advent of, you know, marketing technology, call it MarTech. Um, And then you have FinTech on the finance side of things. And operations, of course, you have your industry 4.0 and all that. Only this year when we've seen HR really actively looking at um, solutions and transforming brick and mortar processes into automated processes. Um, so I think HR technology um, right now is an industry where it's still growing um, within the region and I think worldwide. And this is also reflected on the amount of investment that are pouring in uh, HR technology in, in, in the world. Okay, so maybe automation is, is the key thing. Yes, there. So for HR processes. Okay, so on that note, um, so with AI involved as well, so like what's what's going to be replaced within the next five years, do you think? Mm-hmm. Um, when will the machines rise? That's what I want to know. <laughs> I think the immediate impact will be automation of processes and all that. Um, AI is... Um, based on d- data, my CTO, Dr. Mariano, always tell me that AI basically is um, is a platform or a, a machine that, that, that implements what we tell them to do. So depending on the amount of data you feed it, the more it learns. And it, with what we have right now in terms of HR, I think it's going to be in the next five years. It won't happen within the next five years where we have a fully... Um, operational um, and effective AI platforms on um, HR processes. Marketing maybe, finance maybe, there are smarter AIs out there because they've been doing it in the last five years, but HR is still in a very, very early stage. 
Okay, so that one's going to be around for a while. Is, yeah. Is yeah, but the immediate ones are potentially on automation, automation of HR processes. Okay, and that's what Above App does, or? Partly, yes. Um, so um, I, technically in HR, they call it performance appraisal, where you have an annual review, right, of performance. Uh, what we're trying to do is to implement these targets, uh, KPIs, OKRs, in the platform, divide them into monthly or quarterly targets, and track the performance of people real time. So we're basically automating performance appraisal. Um, and for every milestone um, employees achieve, say 10% of the target, 20% of the target, they unlock badges as a form of recognition. Um, and then they have real-time rewards there that range from additional day off, flight to Hong Kong, or a, a cup of Starbucks coffee. So you're saying if I if I have this app and I'm an employee, I could uh, if I complete a task or play this game, then I'm actually able to get another day off of work. Yeah, the reward of your choosing. Um, I think that what that's one of the the uh, pain points that we're looking at, allowing um, employees to really choose what type of rewards they want out of the performance they've delivered. Right. Some a lot of women, for example, in Vietnam are newly married with kids, etc. So we're seeing an influx of or an increase on um, grocery rewards because they can buy milk for the kids and so on. So it's empowering employees to choose the rewards they like. Okay, so not just not just straight up cash incentives. You're like able to actually give them things that they want. Yeah, and then for most cases, actually, um, in Vietnam, you have uh, USBs, uh, pillows as rewards for, for employees, which in my case, previously, I already have five pillows from the company, and I said... I don't want another pillow. Maybe I need a, a bubble tea. A bubble tea. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, so we talked about earlier a little bit mm. about what prompted this. So you're out here changing the game of work. So what specifically, like, when did it click in your mind that it was like, I need to do this? Was it was there an instance when, when you experienced hardship or when you experienced a, a, at work in your, your corporate life where something just wasn't going the right way and you were like, okay, I can make a solution to this? Uh, yeah, there were two triggers. The first trigger was the, ne- the demand for um, the type of service that we're offering, uh, employee engagement and retention, as I mentioned. Um, and on the other side, I'm looking at the retention of the startups that I am involved in and people come and go. So they join the startup, and they leave um, in less than a year um, time. And for startups, human capital is very important because you don't really want to spend three weeks or one month training newcomers all the time. Um, truth be told, the amount you spend on recruitment, for example, training, and retraining the you know people that the things that people already knew, it's 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 lost productivity. Um, so and it's it's a big money for a lot of companies. So when I've seen that firsthand with the startups that I'm involved in, that's when I said, okay, maybe this is something that I can help solve and nobody's trying to do it yet. Um, so when we started doing the, the platform, we look at if this concept is already in, in the market and it isn't yet worldwide. So they have either a corporate rewards platform where you can allow your, your employees to choose their rewards or there are CRM systems, but they're never really a platform that combines performance and real-time rewards. So I thought it was a perfect opportunity. There was a demand. Um, There's no major player or there's no player yet in the market that's doing the same thing. Um, So I decided to do that. 
but I never, I always thought I was ready to do it and it's going to go very smoothly. Um, you know, when it's your eighth startup, you get a little bit arrogant <laughs> until you start running the business and then you learn that there's never really a recipe on how to build something from scratch. That's why it's building something from scratch. Okay, so it was, uh, it was your baby, is your baby, mm-hmm. and it's going along. How's, how's, how are things? Things are doing quite um, faster than we expected this year. So we have actual offices now in four countries, and we're present in more than nine countries through distributor um, approach. So there are HR companies in other countries who say, we really like the platform. Um, can we be your distributor? Um, and so we customize the, plat- the app, and then we put it on their product portfolio. But we do all the back-end and um, uh, tech stuff for them. Okay, so it's really it's really just being aware of the market opportunities, just keeping your eyes open, head on a swivel, ready to, to capitalize on what you see is, is being able to take advantage of, right? Yeah, so it's, I think it's the, the, the basic of marketing. You have the, the market for it, then you build a product for it, you put a right price for it, and then you promote it. Right. Okay. So um, if if you're really lucky to figure out, um, to come to an opportunity like this, and you figure out how to put it out in the market, then uh, grab that opportunity because it doesn't come easy, I guess. Especially now with with the ecosystem we have in Southeast Asia, for example, where everybody wants to be an entrepreneur. So everybody's really actively looking at every possible opportunity out there to create something new um, and, you know, to open a business. So if you come across an idea, check out if there's a market for it, check out competition. um, And then if you think it's, it's, it's the right time to launch that out there. um, And there's most importantly, a demand for it, go for it, find the right partners and go for it. Okay. And as you know, so we a lot of the, the listeners for the Fail Fighters um, out there, they're people starting up their own companies. They're you know just now beginning the journey, or they're thinking about beginning their journey. And as you said before, you've invested in over fifteen startups now. Mm-hmm. Fifteen, wow! <laughs> and five of those are profitable, mm-hmm. which is that's a that's a good track record when it comes to to startup investment. So, in your opinion, what would you say are some key Indicators to look for when you're investing in a company, or when you're when you're thinking about you know starting a new project like that. So for me to co-found a company um, and to invest on a company are very different. Okay, mm-hmm. um, if I invest on companies, number one is based on um, the founder and the product. So first, I will not sit down with anyone unless I trust the background of the founder. Sometimes no matter how good the platform is, if the founder is not ready for it, doesn't have the right background for it, it won't work. So for me, I invest on platforms first and foremost because of the founder. I co-found companies based on the concept, right? So if the product or the concept is good and there's, I think there's a market for it, then I suggest, okay, let's do this together. That's when I come in. Um, but yeah, two very different things to open a business together with someone or a group of people and a very different concept on how I choose startups to invest on. Okay, so when you're investing, it's in people. 
So you invest directly first. in the person. Okay, that's first first and foremost. But when you're co-founding, you focus more on the concept. Yes. Okay. And what about choosing co-founders? Um, co-founders, for me, I think, number one has to have the right background for launching the that specific product or service. Number two, person you can work with. Um, a lot of brilliant people out there, they have very varying type of um, personalities and again reflecting on what you can put on the table how you work what type of people can work well with you is very important and I think I've learned that already the hard way Um, (laughs) but there are very few types of people that can really survive working with me Um, and I know more or less what type of people those are Okay, so it's knowing your own self and knowing who mixes well exactly. with that self. Okay, so what are you curious about right now? Um, and, and of course, you're going to be curious about work. You're always keeping your eyes open for yeah. new startups to invest in. Um, but what's what's personally are you curious about things in general? Things in general. Yeah, give me I, give me a list. What are you What are you into? Something that I'll enjoy probably is the new form of gaming. Okay. Yeah, a new form of gaming. I think um, as a gamer, I'm really, really looking forward what type of new experiences technology can bring in for gamers, yeah. right? Um, so I think this PlayStation era has been very enjoyable, but I feel like it's still very high school because the experience I've had using PlayStation back in high school still very similar to the experience I have in playing um, games now. So I'm really looking forward to the advent of new technology, um, you know, the wearable devices, and really have a new gaming experience. Anything, anything specific that you've seen so far that would be, would be interesting to maybe look further into? I think the only thing on the gaming industry that really um, interests me is more on the boring side, the technology behind it. So Google launched um, a new uh, s- server less approach on how you're going to host games. So before you have to download games to be able to play it, um, Google created this platform that basically you can play games um, wherever without downloading a game or something. Okay. So new ways, new companies investing in games. Yeah. Yeah. And new graphics. I hope, you know, if you're a game developer and you're listening, please create something new in terms of graphics and (laughs) uh, and all that, because that's very um, important for me for gaming. Okay. So if you were to share just uh, one resource that has maybe helped you out along the way in your in your journey so far, what would that one be? Well, I think for me, it's um, the way I create these Um, beliefs that I have or the way I make decisions, one of which is um, really identifying the top 12 books that impact the way I think and the way I make decisions. Um, Each month, I have one book that I reread. So for example, for this month, it's called Irresistible by Adam Adler. It's uh, basically explaining why certain people get addicted to certain gadgets, what are the sciences and the art behind it that makes us want to explore more, keep using a certain gadget, and so on. So it's a, it's an amazing book, but it's also at the same time very powerful um, it, that, that people need to be reminded that knowing these things has to come with a certain responsibility that when we're b- building platform, it has to have a certain limit in terms of the way it's going to impact you know, people's lives and, and behaviors. Okay, and it's 
It's Irresistible? Yes. What's the author again? Sorry. Adam Adler. Okay, Irresistible Irresistible by Adam Adler. And so you said you read the same 12 books every year, mm-hmm. just over and over, huh? Mm-hmm. Okay, and that's that's a new approach. I don't think many people do that. Is there, why, why specifically do you do that? I just feel these 12 books had a massive um, impact on certain aspects of my life. So for example, for marketing, for the way I present myself on social media, there's this book called um, The Social Age, basically explains what type of age we're at, how do you present yourself as an individual, as a brand, and how you can maximize your reach and your influence in a good way at this age by understanding the, the framework that they've built. So that, for example, I'd, I'd read that on February because that's after Tet holiday. Um, and that's when you, again, present yourself in, in the Vietnamese business market because after the holidays, it's getting to know each other again and making sure people get reminded of what you represent or what you do as an, an individual, as a businessman. Okay, so it's, it's, I mean, I think a lot of people, their, their goal is just to complete books. That's like their number one goal. It's like, okay, I got to burn through as many books as possible. And I mean, I find myself guilty of this. Mm-hmm. I pick up a book and I'm like, okay, I'm, my goal is just to go through to the end, mm-hmm. not necessarily to absorb the material, but um, it's a, it's a common, uh, common trap that I think people fall into. So what you're saying is that it's beneficial to just keep rereading the same books, but make sure you actually absorb and implement the material. Yeah, I think there are books that we read that will really have an impact to us. Um, and if you find that, that's a, that's a lucky charm um, because if it resonated to you at a certain point, it's going to keep making sense in your future decisions you make in life. And I think it's, it's important to be reminded of why is that and what is that framework or what is that in that book that, that, that impacts the way you make decisions and so on. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so it's uh, learning how to learn. Mm-hmm. I, I maybe put it that way. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Um, so if there was one thing that you would suggest that I asked you in, in an interview, what would that be? Probably if I'm still scared, um, if I still get scared on things related to business, mm. because I still do. <laughs> I'm still really, um, there are still people who come to me and say, hey, Paul, would you like to invest and so on? Or Paul, where do you think your business is going? And um, the future excites me at the same time. It scares me a little um, because when you create platforms like what we do, that's never been done before. You never really know how the tide's going to turn. Um, so if, if you ask me, am I still, um, do I still get scared with what's to come? Yes, I'm still a little bit scared of what's to come. But I'm very excited because it's a challenge for me on how to future-proof my organization and the company that I've built. Okay. And what do you do with that fear? I first accept that that's a fear that is present. I do not try to to put it away or something I accept that yes it's part of of the recipe on how I can create solutions I think in my recent TED talk last May um, I talked a little bit about fear and how important it is to really embrace it Um, on the younger age we're always told to you know fend it off um, to to kill it but I think fear is part of a recipe of of finding the right solution of keep go- moving forward. Um, without a little bit of fear, it will be difficult to, for me personally, 
to really focus on something and make it work really well. I feel like success is, is if it's success is 100%, uh, 2% of it is a little bit of, of fear. Um, and that 100% is a part of the 1,000%, which is your dream. Um, and I think that the dream always has to be bigger than that fear. That's the recipe for me on how to get things done on time and fabulously. Fabulously. Awesome. <laughs> and so, so you're saying take fear and turn it into action. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. Okay, because yeah. yeah, when people they often when they when they they sense that fear you know coming or they they're just like so scared about the results of a situation, they're often paralyzed. Yeah, um, they and they sometimes spend most of the time trying to put that away, when in fact you just tell that fear, come on, sit down with me and let's work on it um, together. So why are you there? Sometimes you know, things like um, not being confident or. Yeah, and all that are just many forms of fear. Being angry, for example, is a, just a, another form of fear on something. So when I'm scared of something, I'd always ask, okay, why are you there? What can I do about you? I'm not going to spend my time trying to put you away, but you sit with me there and let's figure this out together. Okay, so have a conversation with your fear. Yes. Talk to it, figure it out, figure out how to best utilize it. Yes. The goal. Yeah, and I think that's coming from the fact that... Um, I, I grew up in a family where I'm, I'm the first um, kid, right? And my parents are farmers in the Philippines. And it, it's always been my responsibility to make things work for the family. Since, I was, since my first job when I was 16, I already felt like, okay, th th now this family is my responsibility. And part of that responsibility is always a little bit of fear on what if I don't make it? What if I do things wrongly? Or if, what if I don't? get to where I should be, then there are people who are going to be impacted. And that resonates to how I look at people I work with now. Part of what I do and why I do it, try to do it the best way I can is I know that there are people who will be impacted if I don't do it right. Okay, so it's that sense of responsibility. Mm -hmm. I think that's about it for now. So let's, uh, let's go ahead and recap. Uh, working with Paul, the, the lessons that you learn overcoming the obstacles when you're, you're starting any new endeavor, there, there's going to be many. You just have to keep your eyes open and you just have to, to really be ready to jump from one mindset to the next. So when, when people are dealing with like jumping from corporate world to startup world, that's I think a lot of our listeners are going to be experiencing similar things, jumping from being an employee to being a business owner. So it's just being flexible and, and really allowing yourself to sit with your fear, chat with your fear, and figure out how to utilize it. Is that about right? Yep. Cool. Okay, so um, if, people wanted to, if people wanted to reach out to you and be a part of whatever mission you're on right now, how would they be able to get a hold of you, and what exactly is that mission? What's your call to action for the fail fighters? Well, you can reach me always on Facebook. Um, the only time I'm not online on Facebook is when I'm sleeping. <laughs> uh, but I think the what I'm focusing on right now, um, hundred percent, is the platform I've built, um, and this part platform is part of the bigger vision that we're trying to do, which is really to improve the well-being of people in the workplace by utilizing technology and innovation. So, if this is something you're interested to work on or to share some insights and have a cup of co coffee over, um, as I said, you can reach me on Facebook. 
Okay. Well, reach them on Facebook, and we'll provide those details in the show notes. So don't you guys worry. You will have the direct number to call Mr. Paul Espinas. Um, great having you on the show, Paul. Um, we really appreciate you coming through, and we look forward to maybe having you on for another episode in the future. Thank you, sir. So lots to unpack there, fellow fighters. So the first key takeaway is how to actually listen to the people you work with. I think we often forget that our employees can be our most valuable asset if we truly learn how to listen to them. So to get the best results, you have to ask the right questions. Be prepared, do your homework, and most of all, be patient. And the second key takeaway is that you have to reward your employees and let them choose what they want to receive as a reward. Just because you're the boss and you like team dinners and vacations doesn't mean that's how your employees want to be rewarded. Sometimes they just want a gym membership or an iPad instead, or they even just want public recognition of a job well done. So the key takeaway here is to find out what they want and give it to them if you want them to stick around. The third biggest takeaway is that leadership requires introspection. As Paul said, he rocked it out in the corporate world, but when he was faced with managing a startup team, the old way wasn't working and he had to reevaluate. So remember that although something worked in the past doesn't mean it's going to work in the future. Be prepared to pivot and to find a new way. And last but not least, the fourth key takeaway is to never be afraid of rereading a book. As you guys know, one of the keys to success is always gaining new knowledge and valuable information. Leaders like Bill Gates and Warren Buffett say this is their biggest secret. And if you're anything like me, I have a tendency to speed read through books and to lose some of the information along the way. But what Paul has said is huge. Revisiting the same great books over and over again can allow you to really inhabit these teachings, and it can allow you to learn something new each and every time. And that's it for the show today, Fail Fighters. Hope this has been valuable for all of you out there listening. If you'd like to find out how to gamify your workplace, be sure to hit up Paul and the team at www.upupapp.info to find out more and to download the UpUp app, that's UPUP app, on the Google Play and App Stores. So our goal here at The Fail Fighters is to bring you one step closer to starting that project you've always dreamed about starting or overcoming the obstacles that hold you back in the projects that you're currently in. That's why each week we'll be bringing you more fail stories, more outlandish tales, and more fun facts and lessons. And that's also why we're going to need your help to like, comment, and rate The Fail Fighters podcast on the podcast store and to show us some love on our Facebook and Instagram pages. To bring you the most relevant content possible, we need to hear from you. So if there's a specific topic you want to dive into, a special guest you'd like for us to have on the show, or some question you're just dying to ask, throw up a question on our Fail Fighters Facebook page at www.facebook.com failfighters, and we'll respond to them as soon as possible. And with that being said, I'm Kerry, and we'll see you next time. And don't forget, keep failing forward.